Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Mornings from... And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I hope your weekend was good. It was spectacular weather-wise. And I know that we are winding down summer, and it's uh, kind of a happy, sad time for me. Usually, because uh, I, I love the warm weather, and, and winters in Minnesota are, can be tough. But I'm looking forward with great optimism for uh, hopefully uh, another spring and summer next year when Activities resume to what appears to be normal. That's what I hope and pray for. Anyway, I always want to get the week started with a little levity, and my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa, Patrick Albanese, is my guest. Patrick, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks. What, what exactly do colleagues do? I don't know. We're, I, we have the same similar kind of jobs or worries or something. I don't know. Or, or lack thereof. Or lack thereof. <laughs> You know, when I was talking about summer and things that resemble summer, I know by now you would have attended the Iowa State Fair. And for me, I'd be in the middle of talking about it and seeing it on the news every night. And with those Mm -hmm. gone, it really does uh, take away a a bit of the summer, which uh, makes me a little melancholy. Well, now, did did the Minnesota State Fair, did they have food available? Like Iowa State Fair, there were days you could go there and actually walk to the food booths and just get all of the food on a stick you could possibly your heart your all the food on a stick your heart attack could desire right. I guess that's the way to say it well cuz uh, it's some some tough stuff but they did have it available and we missed it okay we missed it. now they did do that uh, at the state fairgrounds here and they sold tickets which meant you could go through the drive through in your car and get food that way and they had uh, 19,000 tickets available, and the website was so overwhelmed, it shut down. They sold every ticket in, I think, two hours. See, then people wanted, they wanted to go to the state fair. They wanted the state fair food. They wanted the state fair experience. And I get that. I mean, it's been, you know, our kids started school uh, last week, so that's a, a brief, <laughs> when I say brief, they, <laughs> Thursday was the first day. Friday was the second day. Uh, you know, they came home Friday night and said, whoo, we need a vacation. <laughs> when's, when's, when's fall break? But uh, I dropped them off this morning and got an email this morning where there's a, a big Zoom call where they're going to discuss the option of uh, sending the kids right on back home sometime this week oh boy. for distance learning because the positivity rate of the tests went above 10%, and evidently that means the sky is falling. Uh, uh, but we have low hospitalization and low, lower mortality here. So they're, whatever the metric is they're using, we got metricized. And uh, so, so I'm thinking, oh, no, three days of school, we might be right back at home. So uh, we, we got to three days of normal. We okay. got to try three days of normal. And I got to tell you, it was glorious. I bet it was. All right, I no. want to jump back to the state fair food. When people yeah. drive through in Minneapolis or St. Paul, to go to the food vendings booths and they get their food. 
do they wait until they get home to eat it or they start eating it in the car immediately? Well, I think food like that keeps for quite some time. <laughs> so in other words, maybe a couple hours later they ate it at home? Yeah, and of course you can graze on food like that, like those those turkey legs, which I never got into the turkey legs. I, 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 it's a little bit too medieval times for me, <laughs> you know, gnawing on the, one of those giant turkey legs. Uh, I like the pork chop on a stick, which isn't really on a stick because it's just the bone of the pork chop. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, that turkey leg, I said, well, there's enough food in there for a family of five, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. I'm a big fan of the Pepto-Bismol on a stick. By the I way. love that, by the way. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Now, if we can jump ahead now to some of the COVID discussion, because you had mentioned that there might be a possibility of the kids returning home. I think it was Dinesh D'Souza that created all this uproar when he made a comment that the CDC reduced its coronavirus death count to only 37,000. And of course, that created all kinds of trouble. And I think what they were trying to separate was the cases that were reported and probable versus death certificates that had COVID on them. And the death certificates with COVID on them was substantially lower than the death count. Yeah, the New York Times ran an article this weekend, and I think they're, and this is the New York Times, they're they're no friend of anybody, now that I think about it. (laughs) Uh, But... uh, uh, their article, I believe the stats they had is that uh, only 6% of the deaths that had COVID on the death certificate, only 6% were due to COVID. The other 94% were uh, deaths with COVID. Okay. Uh, and then other comorbidities. Now, it's not, I don't think they were saying, you know, I think it's obviously you could say that COVID is what, you know, puts somebody in a very precarious position uh, over the edge, uh, if, if that's a good term to use, but, um, that's a, that's a, a, a very large drop in deaths due to COVID. If you say, well, only 6% and the other 94, well, they had a bunch of other things going on. So, uh, I, I just wonder how much this will get reported in the, the mainstream news. I mean, the New York times is the mainstream news, but I didn't see anybody run with that this weekend. I thought, this is kind of interesting, isn't it? I yeah. mean, since we're living with this pandemic and it's altered our lives in many, many ways, maybe this is a good thing to look at. Mm-hmm. That, you know, is it possible that uh, uh, maybe, I'm not saying we got a handle on it, but that uh, we've been attributing too much of the mayhem to this disease and it doesn't deserve all that credit. Mm-hmm. And when the idea is to follow the science. Well, isn't there always extremely differing opinions when it comes to science? Yeah. And, and that, that I have to admit, that's one of the things I find a little bit on the ironic side, because, you know, one day somebody's saying, I'm not, you know, maybe I've been guilty of it as well. They're saying, you know, this person doesn't follow the science. And then uh, a story comes out and the CDC says the kids should go back to school. And they go, well, I don't, I don't believe that. It's like, well, that was the science. I don't, <laughs> what you, you, so you're picking and choosing the science. And in fact, on that New York times article, I saw a whole bunch of people saying, well, I refuse to believe that because, uh, you know what, uh, the person from the CDC who reported that to the New York times, that's an appointee of Donald Trump. And, uh, since he's a liar, that person's a liar. And I think, okay, so which information 
from the CDC two weeks ago that you're saying that we should trust this, weren't those the same people that are giving us this new information? So we either throw all of it out or none of it out or, but I don't, I don't know if you're just allowed to pick and choose and say, but don't people do this all the time with, with, with the Bible? This isn't the same thing they do. They go, you know, the Jesus I know, I don't know his last name, but the Jesus that, that the Jesus that I believe in would never do or never say, or, you know, they make up the person that Jesus is. Right. And you say, well, I think you might have that a little bit incorrect. And if you were interested, there's actually a reference manual that gives you the whole story mm-hmm. and the whole rundown. And they go, I don't need that because I know what I believe. I'm thinking, and granted, we can all be guilty of this, but uh, we try not to be. Nope, I I choose not to be. You always go to the Word of God like a good Berean, and you measure what you hear against what the Word of God teaches, and then you make your decision because you you have the Holy Spirit leading you. So it's a it's a big difference. I do remember reading a story. I wish I could access it because it was years ago of a front page on the Minneapolis uh, paper of a woman who had um, an inoperable brain tumor, and basically the doctor two doctors said, "I'm sorry, but need to get your life in order." The third doctor said, whoa, 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 that's a benign cyst. And all of a sudden she was out of the woods. And I think, well, what science do you follow? What is the science that you believe in? I can give you an example of that. A life-changing thing. My brother-in-law had muscular dystrophy, and uh, there was a point where his neck muscle, everything in the neck was shortening, and he would, when he would walk, he was pointing his head straight up, looking toward the sky. And people would say, what are you looking at, buddy? Uh, And so— It's not very nice. No, it's not very nice. And uh, he was going to the premier muscular dystrophy specialist in the state of Iowa, supposedly one of the best in the country. And the guy said, nothing we can do about it, nothing we can do about it, nothing we can do about it. So he had heard about a doctor down in St. Louis and contacted him. The guy took a look at him and says, well, I can fix that. <laughs> yeah. Really? Said, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a piece of cake. So he goes back to the premier guy and says, uh, I talked to this doctor down in St. Louis and he can fix it. He says, you will die on the operating table uh, or you will be paralyzed from basically the eyebrows down. Mm-hmm. Wish you had died on the operating table. This will be the biggest mistake you make of your life. You're an idiot if you do this. Okay. And it was pretty pretty effective in scaring him. And the doctor down in St. Louis says, nah, I'd be fine. So he decides, well, I can't live like this. You know, as it is, I'm falling apart. So he goes and he has the surgery and you're not going to believe this. It worked. Right. So I happened to be working at a place at the same time that the owners, they had a son who had muscular dystrophy as well, and his neck was doing the same thing. I said, I know how to fix that. Wow. <laughs> they said, no, no, no. We go to the premier guy here in Iowa. Uh, we have to go all the way out to Iowa City, and he says it can't be fixed. There's no way to do it. And I said, well, actually, I, I think I know this story very, very well. So I hooked them up with the doctor down in St. Louis. He gets it done after the expert says – you're going to die on the operating table or be paralyzed from the hair follicles on down. It was unbelievable. It was the exact same story, even though there was a success story of my brother-in-law in the hopper. He could look at that and said, hey, it didn't happen. Everything I said was going to happen to this guy did not happen, and mm-hmm. he's fine. Even with that new information, the expert said, you will die on the operating table. This will be the biggest mistake you ever make in your life. Yeah. So like, so, any, like anything, Patrick, you know, you— when when you're when you hear that people have to follow the science, I always go, well, "What science? Is that a fair question? Is that a fair question?" It's a very fair question, and science has changed over the years from when the Earth was flat 
<laughs> right. I remember those They've days. Been making new discoveries. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Let me take a little break. Patrick Albanese is my guest and my friend and my colleague from the great state of Iowa. We'll be right back. If I had a brain, I could, I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, cons- and my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. Welcome back to the show. So glad that Patrick Albanese is my guest to get things started, get the week off on the right foot. A little on the light side is always what I think the doctor orders, because the week is going to be busy, and there's always uh, a lot on everyone's plate, and it doesn't hurt to smile a little bit. Maybe have a laugh. I got a nice email from a listener, Patrick, that said that her father used to whistle that uh, if I only had a brain. And every time she hears the song, she smiles. Isn't that sweet? You you can't help but smile when you hear that. And I, you know, even in my advanced years, I, as you know, I'm in my extremely late, late, late 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 uh, how many lights did i get in there <laughs> so you need a late few more 40s. is that it <laughs> Something like that yeah <laughs> uh but i still consider that one of the best movies ever and i i just don't know why maybe it just brings me back to childhood or that time that it came out usually around thanksgiving and everybody gathered around the tv set and on monday when you went back to school you knew that every one of your classmates had watched it and uh you know even for people who weren't much of a singer like me, I would sing those songs. Can't yeah. help but sing those songs. Yeah. They're just happy. And I love that one of the uh, primary critics for movies at the time reviewed The Wizard of Oz and said it lacked creativity. Yeah. So How know, about you, this? You, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. You're going to one-up uh-huh. me? I might one-up you. Uh, the original, you know, the, I think it was the studio did not like Over the Rainbow. They thought it was a oh, yeah. terrible song, way yep. too slow moving. And they said, you got to pull that out. And the director said, I will quit if you pull that song. I yeah. think it's beautiful. That got shoehorned back in, I think, a couple of days before it uh, went to press. Yeah. Yeah. One of the most iconic songs in movie history. In Yes. So yeah. I think if there's a moral of this moral to this story, it's if you get opposition in your life and critics say that what you're doing isn't good, maybe ignore it. Uh, I think that's worth uh, considering, you know, I mean, you know that uh, the, the old classic uh, poem, they said it couldn't be done. You probably read that when you were a kid, you'd read those positive, um, you know, do you remember those? Oh, sure. By, by Edgar Guest. Somebody said it couldn't be done, but he with a chuckle replied that maybe it couldn't, but he would be one that who wouldn't say so till he tried. I used to have that memorized and just. It would, I would uh, chat it to myself when I was much younger and much more optimistic. And, and, and it's, a, it's a fight as you get older to, to fight the negativity. And I don't know if it's just life weighing down upon you, more responsibilities. But remember how easy it was to be positive as a teenager? Like, yeah. It's going to be great. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be a movie star. I'm going to be a gajillionaire. It's all going to work out just fine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it. it I mean, I had my first television appearance in second grade. Did you know that? Uh-huh. Second. I tried to get that. I tried to forget that, actually. But tell me more. Okay. So uh, there was a show called Bozo Circus in Chicago. Okay. Now, I did end up appearing on it as a magician a couple of times years later. But in second grade, my, my aunt uh, Maureen 
received 30 tickets to Bozo Circus, and she got 30 tickets to Bozo Circus because she used to be a, a had a Girl Scout troop when she first married my mom's brother. And um, she thought it wouldn't be great to take all these girls to Bozo Circus. So she ordered the tickets, not knowing that it takes eight years to get the tickets. <laughs> There's an eight-year wait for Bozo tickets? There was an eight-year wait for Bozo I tickets. thought Hamilton tickets were hard to get. Yeah, yeah. And well, these were free at least. <laughs> oh, good point. Yeah, we're not charging her for them. But so, uh, uh, you know, eight years later, she's no longer in charge of a Girl Scout troop. She's got four boys, you know, running around. And she, this package arrives. So she gathers all the kids and, you know, families and cousins and things like that. And I'm standing in line out in the hallway before they let you in. And somebody grabs me and says, would you like to be in the uh, the game uh, in, in the show? Not the grand prize game with the buckets, but just a game, you know, it was like a hot potato game. I'm like, sure, why not? So uh, I, I got to be on TV. I got introduced by Mr. Ned, the ringmaster. And, you know, I say the showbiz bug bit because I went to school the next day and they were they all said, well, we watched Bozo because you were going to be there. We thought maybe we'd see you in the audience. <laughs> and there you were. <laughs> I know. Well, there you go. That's when, that's when it all started. That's when it all started. If it weren't, if it, you got to think about this. If it weren't for the eight-year wait on Bozo Circus tickets, you and I would have never met. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And if you didn't get bit by the showbiz bug, your whole life would have been different. Yeah. I mean, there's, we, I know we've talked about this, I call them pebbles on the path of, of your life where a, a thing happens that, uh, years later you look at and you say that drastically changed my life. I mean, I got stood up for a date once stood up for a date and it set me on a course that changed my life. Huge, huge. Yeah. Just, we say it's, it's immeasurable. This is, these aren't parallel lines anymore. I'm on an entirely different plane of existence because I got stood up for a date. Yeah, then you went into ninth grade. Yes. <laughs> so you you love you love good sayings. I love good sayings. And my my friend uh, Ron Johnson was interviewed by John Ortberg on his podcast, and I listened to it, and it's awesome. And I, I took down a couple of lines that Ron had. Ron's one of the most optimistic people I know. And here are a couple for you and for my listening audience. He said, embrace the disruption in your life. Life is hard, but we will all have low points and high points, and in life you make choices. Great line, isn't it? It is a great line. Yeah. Yeah, another one I thought was uh, really good is, um, if you focus on getting a little better, pretty soon you'll be really good at something. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> Incrementalism. You yeah. just have to... A little bit better. Yeah. And one of my favorites is this one. Uh, brutal honesty may be the highest form of kindness because most of us want to be in relationship, but what gets in the way is truth. It's really telling people how you feel. If you know how someone feels, you can learn and grow. Mm -hmm. I like that. I do like that. I never understood why honesty has to be so brutal. Well, yeah, when people say, can I be brutally honest? most of the time they're more brutal than they are honest. It's hard to yeah. deliver that message with kindness and grace. Yeah, that's kind of like a knee-jerk reaction is usually very little knee, mostly jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's crazy. But I like the idea that's, of embracing the disruption in your life. We're certainly in the middle of a huge disruption right now with COVID, and I don't know when this is going to come to a, a nice conclusion, but uh, this is a disruption, and I know... When people look back, they're going to realize that there were spectacular moments in this season of life that 
they would have never have had otherwise. Well, uh, well, I'm certainly getting a lot of work done around the house, <laughs> but yes, and 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 plenty of wonderful time with the kids. In fact, the kids were helping me. I was doing the flooring. Uh, I'm I'm doing luxury vinyl planking, by the way. Nice. You didn't have, I can just you, if you were to say vinyl flooring, you'd say, "Ooh, I, yeah, that just sounds cheesy." But you say, "No, it's luxury." Yeah. You just throw the word luxury in there. You vinyl know, flooring. Kind of, I'm thinking, did he pony up for the luxury? That's what I, I was thinking. Up for the luxury. Right. I mean, remember, you know, mac and cheese, there's mac and cheese and there's mac and cheese deluxe. <laughs> Excellent point. So, yeah, you're going, oh, I got to have the deluxe. I can't have the normal mac and cheese. I got to have that. Like they never made luxury ramen supreme. That would taste pretty good. You I would have tried that. Yeah. Luxury ramen supreme. So how'd the vinyl flooring come out? Uh, well, it's certainly harder than they say, uh, you know, so those little do-it-yourself videos where the guy assembles a complete floor in one minute and 32 seconds <laughs> takes... Just a little bit longer, but it looks, it does look fantastic. Uh, and once again, I get to say to my wife, you were right. This was the right color, the right choice. Cause I was perfectly content to leave the old carpet. And as I was pulling the old carpet up, it's kind of like life. You say, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea how dirty this was. Cause of course you're, you're tearing up carpet that is under say uh, a, a chest of drawers that has been there for 12 years. Right. And is pristine, day, like, like you know, brand new. And uh, you're pulling up everything else around it. At first, you say, this doesn't look that bad. And then you move the chest of drawers and you say, oh, my, oh, my, <laughs> what I've been living with. Yeah. So uh, it's looking good. Reminds me of the depravity of sin and how we are seen in God's eyes prior to salvation. As we are uh, sinners condemned and we need to be born again and made new by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, when you use the word brutally honest, uh, is anybody prepared for that conversation? Uh, they should be. Would you, like, would you like to take a look at your sin? Yeah, that's like, the most important one out there. Yeah, it's like, could we just look at the, the cool stuff I did? No. Can we look at that? It's like, man. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that yeah. way. Yeah. Patrick, thanks for uh, taking the time, making my Monday uh, happy to get things started. Be a great week, and I hope you have a good one as well. Thanks, you as well. All right. Patrick Albany has been my guest. We'll take a short break. And when we come back, it'll be the Monday afternoon mix with Miles Arnold and Maxwell. Be right back. If you have taken the time to take the little survey regarding the show, Afternoons With Me, I'm absolutely grateful and thankful. And if you have not taken it and would be willing to do it, we'd love for you to jump on and give us your opinion of what you like about the show or how we might improve it. I want to get better, so let me know how I can improve. I'm always open to great ideas and constructive criticism. So go to MyFaithRadio.com and check the survey. Otherwise, we're taking it down, I think, in the next day or two. So would love for you to do it. And be right back with the Monday Afternoon Mix. Nothing at all. Remember, together we'll get through this. Thank <laughs> you. 
Monday afternoon mix with Miles Arnold and Maxwell. But Maxwell, there's no Miles. Hello, Arnold. Live, but we uh, were able to record with David uh, right before uh, the end of last week. So it's a beautiful thing about technology. It is. And we're going to talk about understanding one another's pain, not comparing it. I think this uh, this mix will be known as kind of the consortium of interesting ideas. I love consortia. Uh, I don't even know what it means, but let's start. I'll tell you what, what happened one time. DJ was being born, and we were going through some pretty intense labor, and and it's kind of really funny because, like, I'm watching this little graph. What was that? The sensor thing? Yeah. And I'm, like, watching this thing go up. And I'm like, babe, look, that's going up. Wow. Wow. You know, at one point. I know. At one point she grabs my hand and she's like, you know, I, I know that. <laughs> so I try to maybe tell younger guys it's, it's not necessarily, you know, a wise thing. And you can tell us why this might not be wise to tell a woman that labor pain really isn't that much of a deal. Okay, so Rebecca, agree, disagree? Um, I would imagine so. Having experienced both of those pains, I would say that labor pains are much greater. Okay, and you're saying that from experience? I am, yes. Okay, so you would tell me as I tell young guys and stuff. I kind of think this is obvious, but feel free to maybe say it's not necessarily a wise thing to tell your wife you know, new mother that, or even multiple times, like, you know, so what I, you know, I've cut myself before, so what's the big deal? That would be a difficult comparison to make. I don't think she'd appreciate it very much. Okay. So you guys know I'm interested and I love the issue of congruency. So can someone help me understand why a number of people of European descent like to tell black people what racism is or it isn't and what you've gone through that it's real or it's not real you go first rebecca oh why because i don't i don't have an answer (laughs) because i look like i do (laughs) (laughs) this is my clueless face no i'm i'm fully aware that there are many things in life that i have not experienced and so i wouldn't presume to say well this is how you should feel about things that you have experienced because that's one thing you can never uh, argue with, I guess, is somebody's story. And, right. and you know, we, we do have the ability to line up against certain objective standards, like God's word is true for everybody, no matter what. Um, but you would have a different experience maybe with how all of that might apply in specific interactions or relationships than I would. Okay. Bill? Well, I, I would agree with Rebecca. I think you honor a person's story and you can't pretend to know what they've gone through, but you can understand if you listen. So what are you saying that requires then? Uh, someone who's willing to sit down and have a constructive and and um, straightforward dialogue where you do most of the listening. One of the things that's interesting, there's this process that sometimes happens that even when people will discuss a certain issue with someone, like someone does something and the person will say, well, you know, that person's really a nice person. What they said wasn't racist. You know, I mean, like, they're really nice. And you know what? You maybe took it the wrong way. So, like, right now, one of my sons saw a uh, Instagram post from someone that he... Actually, it was a person that he knew. And the person was making the case that Jacob Blake was shot and killed. That was a pretty major issue. But there, it was justified. It was, it was right. I mean, like, the person had a knife and a gun... And so that was a justifiable thing. Now, you may have saw the video of a 17-year-old 
kid who shot people with an assault rifle and walked down with an assault rifle in his hands up to police armored vehicles and wasn't killed. And so, um, but there's still people saying that's not a big deal. And I think one of the things that's really interesting, D.L. Hughley, who's a comic, who sometimes I'm not thrilled about language, uh, but he says there's never, there's not been too much in the society of America that's happened to black people that has made America stop and almost pause and say, well, that's too much. Now, George Floyd is pretty close. But even in the midst of George Floyd, people are still saying, well, he's this person, he's this person, he's done this, he's done that, he's done this, he's done that, he's done this. Those things are true, but yet if there's someone in our particular group that we like, someone can say, person B has all these issues. And if it's your person, you respond and say, but that's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus forgives people who live this way. But if you don't like this person, and this goes to our subject about community, and if they're outside of your community, then you're inclined to say, no, they're a horrible person. I'm not a fan of, say, one like Hillary Clinton. Just not, you know. She called black people super predators. Then try to come back and say, I want to vote. Please vote for me. Um, But I've heard some things, you know, where people are just like, you know, we didn't support her because she's a horrible person. And it's like, but... We support this person even though they've done bad. You know, their character is very questionable because Jesus forgives people. So the question for the believer then, and I've sometimes asked people because I've had to look at this with my feelings about those individuals, to say, yeah, but so does the gospel actually apply to Hillary Clinton? Does the gospel apply to my enemy or whoever I think my enemy is? You know, does that apply to the person whoever is considered other to me? Does does the gospel apply to a person who's, you know, a white supremacist, white nationalist, who basically wants to kill my kids, has never met them? But does the gospel apply to that person? Does the gospel apply to, you know, someone who's in the nation of Islam or some other terrorist in another place? So the question is, the gospel is meant to change us, and it does change us. So what's happening right now when on the forefront of so many different things, it's actually not so much unsaved people that are the issue or even like stepping into the gap of things. It's often those who call upon the name of Christ. And this is not like a new thing. It's kind of been a longstanding, repeated history type of thing. It's kind of more like if we're talking about change, what's that look like, like brass tacks? Well, someone, if they're going to change, they are going to start with a, a, a new birth from above mm-hmm. where God intervenes through the power of the Holy Spirit, takes them from being dead in their sins to alive in Christ. And then over a series of small incremental steps, for the most, time, for the most part, people start having their behavior change over time. Go ahead, Rebecca. Well, I was going to say, if you understand, and, and that's where repentance comes in, which is part of that process that you're talking about, Bill, you understand the old man has to die and the new one is now born. We are new creations once we enter into Christ and he empowers us 
to be transformed. Um, but repentance is an important part of that. So we understand, all right, the old is put away, put off. And anytime that starts cropping up, we need to, you know, mortify that essentially to use the King James version. Um, and that's, that's part of the change of process, but it usually doesn't happen all at once. Sometimes, sometimes it does, but, um, and I've always liked the definition of integrity or good character as a long obedience in the same direction. So it is those, those taking those steps, making that decision to say, I'm following Christ today, each and every day. And in this specific way, if I highlight, I have an issue with anger, I have an issue with prejudice, I have an issue with fear or whatever these things are, mm-hmm. and then addressing that specifically, and again, mortifying the old and calling up that new creation, the power of Christ that is in us that we can live out. Right. So not looking for like a timeline thing. So if we don't, if you're not seeing change, then what does that say? What is that saying? In myself or in somebody else? Just just in what you're saying about like, you know, the gospel changes people and not right away, but over time, you know, it will change us as individuals, but also as a church, the church is made up of individuals. It's made up of a body. And that part is really something that we have to really embrace because there are so many plural pronouns. There's so much plural usage of scripture when it speaks to community. We live in a time of high individualism. Like we are, we are individualistic. Like, like if a person on their disc profile is a high eye for influence, we're high eye on individualism. So then even as a people that there would be a change amongst us. And so if you, if we're not seeing that change, what does that say to you? Or what is, what's that speaker? What do you think? I mean, like why or, what are reasons? Don't look at me. <laughs> it's your show. It is your show. <laughs> You're part of this segment, though. Oh, this, he's gonna he's gonna know. But it's the Monday this afternoon woman that you mix. Gave me. Yeah, it's, it's the Miles it. Arnold Maxwell <laughs> segment. Well, I'm not sure that I have all the answers. I know that that can be incredibly frustrating. Mm-hmm. If if you think, well, shouldn't we be understanding this better? Shouldn't we be living this out a little bit better or demonstrating this better to the world? Shouldn't we be looking much different than the world that doesn't know Christ? Like, shouldn't we have some of this down a little bit more? And I'm not saying I have the answers for that. I can identify and and sympathize with that as as an issue. Um, But I'm not sure if that's an accountability thing where maybe we need to be doing life more closely together a little bit more and understanding that it's not about excusing sin, but it's about putting sin to death and taking that far more seriously and identifying it the way that God does and that our goal is holiness, that that is possible, but we are to not make excuses for rebellion against God in any of those forms. So I'm I'm not sure if we can all see each other and our own flaws as clearly as maybe another trusted brother or sister can help point that out when they see that in us and that we're being inconsistent. Right. That's almost exactly what I was going to say. I thought so. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're on it, Rebecca, because everything <laughs> that you're so. thinking of saying, like he's... I almost feel like you're stealing my material right I'm now. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's okay. I'll be quiet now. So one of the interesting things, one of the kind of, you know, I would say like one of the fathers of just the whole like, you know, right now people are talking about racial reconciliation. One, reconciliation, even, some of you were asking that question because reconcile means that you need to have a previous, previous relationship that's intact. And so within, you know, blacks and whites, that hasn't, you know, been the case, you know. Um, but 
Michael Emerson wrote a book called Divided by Faith. He's actually going to come out with a new book after 20 years. But I was reading through this the other day, and what was interesting is that there was a point in his book that said basically on this for white evangelicals, and I know it's hard because we're such individualists and we tend to see everyone else as an other. Like we can look at them as groups, but we struggle to see ourselves as a group. And I say that as a chocolate Norwegian, still the Norwegian part of me. But that part of saying basically for over a century for for evangelicals and white evangelicals, their thought patterns on race and black people was actually unchanged, except for vocalizing the inherent deficiency inferiority part. That had changed. But, and this is, so Michael is a, he's, he's an accomplished sociologist. More importantly is that, well, he's great at that, but he's, he's a godly evangelical himself, you know? And so people like him, George Yancey, Dr. Corey Edwards, Christian Smith, uh, Christian Smith is the one who came up with the term therapeutic moral deism, mm. you know, and describing kind of our age that we really have kind of slid into, like, you know, and that goes back to the whole thing. Will we submit ourselves to Christ? But he's actually coming out with a book and saying that a lot of stuff has actually remained unchanged. And one of the things that was very surprising about a book by Divided by Faith where Emerson was really just wanting to see the unity of the body and saying, okay, what's going on here, was finding that, you know, that for the most part, the belief system or whatever was happening within white evangelicalism, it actually perpetuated a racialized society even more so than atheists did. And so, you know, the world right now is desperately looking for the answer that we have, you know, but to get to an answer, it's also saying what's, what's going on that's actually messing with this, this, this message that we have, this, this message of hope when you're seeing even within the body, just kind of, kind of, uh, opposing sides. Cause a lot of stuff that I get from, I get is actually coming more for Christians than it is from unbelievers. You know, some of the stuff that I'm reading and it's like, wow, really? The refreshing thing about it is, is that I'm getting to see people's real heart and their real articulated. It's been really good, but it's also been very sad. But my part is getting us beyond and saying, okay, then how do we become this people uh, that lives us out? All right, we'll take a little break from the Monday afternoon mix. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Monday Afternoon Mix with Miles Arnold and Maxwell. Now, David, I think you've got a quote from Dr. Eisner. Um, Dr. Eisner, um, I think he was from Biola, he would talk about inner beliefs and core beliefs. And it was the subject of the difference between professed beliefs and our core beliefs. And our core beliefs are those things that we act on, that we, that we engage our, our professed beliefs are kind of our idea. So... You know, this idea of changeness, is that a professed belief or is that a core belief? I don't think it can be real unless it's a core belief. I mean, that would be where, where it's something we're experiencing as well. So we can speak to the truth of that experience in our own lives. And that's why we understand and know for sure that it's possible for others. That's my quick thought. But Bill, I don't Bill? mean to steal your material. No, no, no. I think it's a core belief because if it's just a professed belief, that's, that doesn't have any teeth. So what if our core beliefs are actually 
in contrast to our 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 professed beliefs? What if what we're what we're I'm what confused. we're actually so what if actually what we're living almost seems diametrically opposed to what our core beliefs are? Okay. Is that called hypocrisy? Is it is that a word for that? I would think so. Yeah. I mean like I've had friends who go to school, went to school, people that I work with and stuff. I mean, like, so, you know, we dealt this past week, unfortunately, with some things that happened at Liberty. And so there are students that experienced things that were certain standards, but those weren't lived. And so, you know, for all of us, this is the part of saying our walk with Jesus is not a Sunday only thing. You know, it's a daily type of thing. And and here's the thing. Before looking at anyone, I remember one of, the, one of my elders in Ohio used to say, all of us are one small decision or action from doing something incredibly stupid that would hurt the heart of God and many people around us. And if we're faithful to Scripture, Scripture says that when, when we... When someone's caught and tangled, it's not a moment to say, woohoo, it's a moment literally to to weep and say, God, watch my soul. And as a pastor who's had to walk through the process of church um, restoration, or let's use the word church discipline towards restoration, guys, I, I've i never like cried so much in my life uh, in a period of time where I was shepherding with other, other pastor leaders with me through a situation that happened at a church. And I mean, like, anyone who's like, oh, you know, just to, no, it is, it is, it is, it is hard. And I think that's why Jesus, the verse that we use so often, you know, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I'm with you. And we just kind of, that verse is actually in the context of Matthew 18, at the end of dealing with the issue of discipline and restoration. Jesus is like, no, you need to do it. And I'm there in the midst of you. That's that's actually the, the theological, biblical contextualization of that thing that we say is right there. So so then how do we how do we get there? Because Bill, you wanted to look at um Ephesians four uh twenty two. Mm, yeah. Yeah. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So what were you thinking like when that, because before we got on the air, you mentioned that verse. And well, it's important if you're going to put something off to have something to replace it with. Mm-hmm. And when you are talking about wanting to change, if you are not uh, replacing uh, something with a new passion, the old will probably show up again real soon. Yeah, I would say so too. I mean, the and probably part of the reason that we find ourselves, you know, kind of living a double life maybe in some aspect, or we're saying things that our actions aren't agreeing with is because instead of putting off in order to put on, we've maybe like tried to add to, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've got, I've got all my stuff that I kind of like, but I just want that frosting of Jesus over the top. And, and that, that should be fine. And that should be good. Instead of a complete transformation, maybe we're just trying to to, to have a, a casserole conglomeration of everything. Right. And you can't do that. You can't have those two, which is why those verses go together. We must be made new in the attitudes of our mind. We have to put off and then put on the new self created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. Right. You know, and the word 
Diakonsune, I get it kind of messed up, Dr. Ken Young, who's in our biblical theological department, uh, did a, just an incredible study on the word of that word, and it actually is translated both its righteousness, but it also is translated justice. Mm. And there are times where even in the New Testament, it's been translated righteousness, but it's pointing back to an Old Testament passage that translates justice. You know, why is this important? Because, you know, when we, we, we care about theology and we'll sometimes say those of liberal persuasion have taken theology and just kind of made it whatever. But in the context of understanding how much God cares about justice, then conversations about caring for the poor and all those different people, that's not social justice stuff. That's just being biblical. You know, but unfortunately, our politics is more informing our theology than our theology is informing our politics. Or we become kind of just centered in. Because when I hear conversations or when I'm getting things from people, uh, it's kind of funny because it's, it's almost as if there's a demand for people to almost have a holiness and perfection that, even, that, that, that exceeded and you can't exceed it because Jesus was perfect, but in their mindset that it almost exceeds Jesus's, the fact that Jesus was perfect, that they would be perfect. So, so how we're thinking through, because the mind is a battlefield. And I agree, there's a lot of things of which we're influenced by media in our, in our world. You know, we're influenced to think of what's in, what's out, you know, who's good, who's bad, and, uh, and the like. And so, that is why also we need to be in God's word to have our minds renewed and transformed. Um, but also to read scripture as, as scripture and versus cutting things out. Dr. Glenn K. Ryan, who uh, headed up the Circle Urban Ministries in the west side of Chicago that I worked with, he and Raleigh Washington were a part of the uh, early days of uh, racial reconciliation and promise keeper stuff. And I sat in on a DMN course when I was doing my internship there, and he and Dr. Ray Baki, they said, you know the difference between more liberal and conservative uh, Christians when it comes to the Bible? And I said, what's that? Each of them are cutting out different parts of Scripture to fit where they're at. And so if we profess, and I love God's Word, and I'm committed to God's Word, then are we in our core going to be committed to, to God's Word or only just the parts that, that match us? Because that's going to influence even how we're looking at things that are happening before us today. You know, if we're pro-life, people just dying to the point that now it's just almost like a form of sick entertainment that people are watching people get gunned down and killed all the time. That that should that should stir us, and it shouldn't. And I love God's word, and I'm committed to God's word. Then are we, in our core, going to be committed to? to God's word or only just the parts that, that match us, because that's going to influence even how we're looking at things that are happening before us today. You know, if we're pro-life, people just dying to the point that now it's just almost like a form of sick entertainment that people are watching people get gunned down and killed all the time, that, that should, that should stir us. And it shouldn't be that our, our, our relief valve is saying, well, let's figure out what's wrong with this person and what's wrong with their character that we can now justify that that's okay, that that happened to them. So we have a world that we, that desperately needs the gospel and they don't just want kind of a, you know, mall America, Jesus, they need real transformation. So it starts with the church. So what's that, what's that look like for us? Because, 
you know, right now, parts of the body of Christ are in two different poles. That was uh, the Monday afternoon mix, which we recorded last week. That was a interesting time, Rebecca. That was a little challenging. Yeah, absolutely. I've still got some things that I'm thinking about working through. How, how does the gospel apply in the real world in these incredibly difficult and divisive, mm-hmm. you might say, times, divisive issues? And how do we, above all, place our focus on Christ? Well, I've got an answer for that. Ooh, I I'd love got, to hear it. Yes, thank you so much for encouraging me. Uh, <laughs> we have our salvation series, which we've been running on Wednesdays, and we called it the Summer Salvation Series, but I think due to excitement about it, we're going to continue it into the fall a little bit. Love it. So we've got our next uh, episode coming up a week from tomorrow. We're taking, or, I'm sorry, week from Wednesday. And I think it's going to feature Jay Warner Wallace. Do I have that right? Yes, that's the plan. That's the plan. And then Dr. Alex McFarland has agreed to do it as well and several others. So we're going to keep going. That uh, is all we've got for hour one. Hour two is going to be fascinating because we're going to talk to Ken Samples, who's a theologian and philosopher. And he wanted to talk about such things as UFOs. Hmm. I don't know where this is going to go, but I'm interested to find out what he's got to say. And if you have a question or a comment, we'd love to hear it. You can send me a text right now, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back with Ken Samples. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.